Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us on another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today, we have joining us Mariana Kogan. Welcome, Mariana. Thank you, Simone, and very excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. If you don't mind sharing a bit about your heritage, your background, and anything else about your professional and personal biography that you'd like to share with us. So I'm born in Mexico City. My mom's Spanish. My father is Mexican. I grew up in, in Mexico in a Japanese school, actually. From like 8 to 18, I was in Mexico City Japanese school. Then I moved to Japan. I went to college in, in Tokyo. So I was in Japan for about 10 years. And after that, that's when I moved to the U.S. Professionally, I actually started as an economist, investment banking, and then eventually moved more towards, you know, sales and marketing. So I'm currently the CMO of People AI. It's a wonderful company. I'm a former customer. So I bought from them, you know, a few years back, went to win a big award kind of like the Oscars of the, uh, you know, marketing and sales space. And it's a, it's a wonderful company because what we do is we're the leaders in enterprise revenue intelligence, which is, you know, what we mean is that we help companies to use data to be able to uh, to sell more by connecting them with their buyers, by really helping with engagement. Because at the end of the day, people buy from people. So the more that you can really optimize on that engagement, we, you know, we help them to reduce waste, increase sales, sells more, sell faster. Um, so it's a very, uh, very exciting space. So that's a little bit of kind of what, you know, what I've been doing. But as you know, and, you know, I'm sure the listeners are, are aware, it's never a direct line to from where you start to where you where you finish. If somebody had asked me 20 years ago, do you think you're going to be the, the CMO of a technology company, you know, based in Boston? I would say, no, I'm a Japan expert, you know, I'm, I'm a banker, you know, so many different things, but it's that cultural, historical background that I think can take you to incredible places. Well, I actually lived in Mexico City in DFA in Polanco for two years back in 2008, 2010. Beautiful city. I love Mexico. I hope to go back at some point and go shop for artesanías. <laughs> You know, so multicultural, very diverse city, you know, huge, 30 million people. And it's interesting now in the post-pandemic world, how many people are actually working for American companies, but based actually in, you know, Polanco, Condesa, all those like really, really pretty neighborhoods in Mexico City. So uh, we're definitely getting into a very global, global space. But yeah, Mexico City is awesome. 
and Mexico in general too. There is so much to see. Guadalajara. I mean, I went to Metepec, but name it, the different cities that I went just to see the different types of artesanias that they were selling and and so forth. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. I'm wondering, and I'm sure my audience might be wondering too, why you focus on Japan, Mexican, born in Mexico, from the Spanish background. Why Japan? What brought you to the United States? It is a question that I have to trust my mother on the answer because I don't really remember. So when I was seven, I was at a Montessori um, school in Mexico City. And one day I told my mom that I wanted to go to a Japanese school. So the Japanese component is a little bit unusual, but since, you know, Mexico City, you know, in Mexico quite well, there is German school. My mother grew up in French school. Um, there's American school and Irish school. Out of all those ones, somehow I chose Japan. I just found um, a passion for the language. So when I finished high school, all what I wanted to do was to go to Japan. So I managed to, um, you know, to get a job at the Mexican embassy in Tokyo. I worked there for about a year, two years before going in, you know, into college. And then what happened is that after college, at some point, I started working for a technology company based in, in, in Boston, American Financial Systems, at some point acquired by, by Morgan Stanley. Um, and there were my customers in Tokyo, uh, Dan Johnson, a, a great visionary. And he saw something in me. Fast forward it about a year later, I left Japan, I went to travel, moved briefly to London, and he needed somebody to run his Japan and Latin America business. A good chunk of the business was in Mexico and Argentina. So by the time that he was looking for that person that could culturally, but also from a business perspective, run Japan, Mexico, Latin America, Argentina... I was pretty much most probably the only person that could do it. We danced the dance for a little bit. And then that's how I ended up moving to Boston. American Financial Systems used to be headquartered just outside of um, Boston. So that's how I moved here. So he's going to be forever, Dan Johnson, a great um, sponsor on really seeing what I could do and trusting that I could deliver for for him. So that's how I ended up moving to uh, to Boston. And by now that's about... 22 years ago. Do you go back to Mexico often? Is your family still there? I don't go back as often as I would like it. My brother is in Dallas. My mother lives with me, you know, most of the year. Once a year, I try to get back. And then there's so many other places, wonderful places to go to. But I try to go back home about once a year. I left very young. I was 18 when I left. So Boston has been the majority of your adult life and putting down roots with family. I get it. Yeah, I think that it's been primarily those like 11 years in, in Japan and then like 22 in Boston. So yeah, a lot of my, my home by now is in, in Boston. Okay, so I'm wondering then, did you have an American dream? It sounds like you were on a very solid path from your life in Mexico. And a lot of people come across to the United States wanting to make life better was there an American dream for you or this was part of your opportunity? It's a complicated question to answer because was it the first target of where I wanted to finish? Most probably no, it didn't start as I wanted to move to the U.S. But 
if you think about it, it is the largest economy. As I had been, you know, a few years in Japan, I knew that the next step in my career had to be in the U.S. That part at some point became quite, quite clear. I couldn't continue being in, in Japan because most of the, the companies that I work with would have been headquartered in the U.S. And uh, to continue career development, at some point you had to be headquartered. So, and then if you add to that, that it is a land of opportunities. Making it all the way to the uh, to the top, making it to the C-suite would have been complicated in a place like, like Japan. There is no question that, you know, the U.S. offers that almost like there's no ceiling to what you can do. By now, it's so diverse. You know, we still can do a lot from diversity perspective, but it is a place where and especially, you know, Boston, where, where you can be anything you want. So at some point, there had to be that American step in, in, in a career. So uh, that's kind of the way that I see it. What were some of the challenges or cultural adjustments you needed to make? So from Mexico to Japan, then to the U.S., living and working in non-native countries. How was that experience for you and what were some of those challenges? And there are plenty. If you think to this day, 2022, and still when it comes to the female Latin, in the technology space, there is only one percentage. I mean, it's it's incredible that by now so many women, so many minorities are, are going to college, are graduating from college in the technology um, areas. And it is still only one percentage. Sometimes I don't even want, I don't want to believe the number. I think it sounds like too small. But then if you put the title, that's even less. And what that means is that anytime that I sit at the table, there is never somebody who looks, somebody who speaks, somebody who thinks like me. You're always different. And that is one of the main components that I would say that you have to be comfortable with, that you're going to be different. And you have to learn to value it, to own it. I have had, I mean, I'm born in Spanish and Japanese and English, so I have an accent. So many times when I start certain, you know, presentations or, or, or certain negotiations, I might just put it out there from the very beginning. I have an accent and when I get excited, I speak really fast. So if you don't understand me, don't feel bad and ask me questions. Or sometimes I had to explain the fact that my ideas are going to be a little bit different. And initially, it might be hard to understand where I'm coming from, but bear with me. It's going to make sense and I know how to deliver results. So just give me a little bit of a space for the fact that it's going to be different. So one of the things that I always recommend to, to people is that you have to own who you are. You have to be comfortable with being different. I think it's pretty much that. I mean, sometimes I, I quote this uh, this incident that I that I had. I used to work in an industry where we sell CAD, computer aid design, like a CAD. And I will be preparing a presentation with one of the uh, executive uh, strategy officer. And I remember him like looking at me like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "Here is with these wonderful ideas and all this like that." And eventually I realized that he was hearing that I was talking about a cat, like a CAT. 
to me, it sounds like the same, but of course not to the other party. So you just have to in that moment be able to say, oh, that's funny, laugh together, and then move on with the fact that, yes, it's going to be more challenging and you're going to be doing you know, business and sometimes competing against people who don't have that, you know, that handicap. But then we bring so much of diversity of thought that you just have to be very comfortable and confident that it's okay to be different because you bring so many other different things to the table. I'm thinking that you may be viewed as quite the multicultural leader, right? You've had so much exposure. You speak multiple languages, lived in different settings. I'm wondering how, how do you sell that, that you're the quintessential multicultural leader, right? Because of your exposure and experiences. At some point, it's less of how you sell it and how you deliver value because of it. Because it becomes less of being interesting because you live in different places. It's because I have experience doing business in the Japanese market. I have experience doing business in Europe. You find it easier to connect and bring all those experiences to the table so that you know, when you're talking about expansion, you know, people are we're currently talking about going into the European markets, the Asian markets, you have experience, you have been there, you can let them know ahead of time, what are going to be the challenges, you can let them know what's going to be, you know, what is that roadmap to, to success, you must probably come to the table with connections in many of these, uh, these markets. So I think it's that becoming part of your story which is, you know, one of the, the, the other things that I comment when I do presentations on career growth for minorities is that you got to build your story. Because if you don't have a story, it just sounds like a disjoint in okay, Mexico and then Japan and she has an accent and it's, it's, she's, you know, then you become maybe like, you know, the friendly person on the third floor that happens to be Mexican. But once that you start putting into that, that story, how is it that all these pieces come together so that you are delivering value? Because at the end of the day, all this becomes important from a business perspective, especially in, in corporate America, because it allows you to deliver value to your customers, to your vendors, to, you know, to the company. It's starting to tell that story that is easy to understand and that is repeatable. So that as People are thinking about maybe promotions or role expansion. These are sponsors, and we can talk a little bit more about sponsorship. We'll be able to say, hey, this is who Mariana is. This is what she has delivered. Therefore, we should be giving her the next opportunity because otherwise we are going to be losing if we don't leverage more what she can bring to the table. But for that, you have to be able to tell a story of connecting the dots between that diversity and the results that you have given. On LinkedIn and in other spaces, people talking about branding yourself and telling your story. Can you break that down for our listeners who might not have been exposed to the conversation tangibly? How do you do that for like a young professional coming up? How do you kind of create your story around all of what you're bringing to the table, for example? And I'm glad that you're asking, you know, how do you make it into like an actionable component? Because this is an area where when you were asking at the very beginning, what are the cultural differences in, you know, in doing business in Latin America versus, you know, in the U.S.? I'm going to be talking more from the, the Latin perspective where we are, we're not used to show off. We're a lot of fun. We're very, you know, chatty and, and, and we like connecting with people, but we have been raised in a way that if you've been 
people know your parents and people know families and people know everybody. So there's never the need of that branding and that storytelling. But as you move to a new country where nobody knows you, you have to get into that storytelling. And, and what it is, is that defining what are the pieces, almost like a story, if you think about it, you know, um, there was a problem and the hero arrived and the problem got solved. Similar to that, people have to be able to tell who you are. And that is your brand. That is your story. That's your why. In my case, I talk a lot about revenue optimization, all these different things that I have that the company accomplished. But before that, there is what I what are the things that I've been doing. There is a platform that I really care about diversity and inclusion. There is a Mexican component, there is a Japanese component, and all that has to be put together into telling a story that that has branding because you have to start standing up for what you believe. Especially for the younger crowd, it's because people have to remember what they do, who they are, especially, and because even more important, now that we're working also remote and there's less of making that connection in person, you have to be able to make sure that people can tell your story. Like, who is, who's Mariana? What is it that she's accomplished? Where is it that she comes from? Putting all that together and then wrap it around what do you care about, especially in this NH that, that we all are looking for, that why, uh, why do we do things, why things are important. So make sure that you have your story that you have your brand so that people recognize you. Uh, and just to give you as an, as an example, before people, I, I used to work for a PTC, a very large technology company in the, uh, in the Boston area. And I started relatively junior, I would say. I was the director of marketing operations. And then at some point, I started getting known as a person that will make things happen. So that you start having that, that brand. So if we acquire a company, they will say, well, we need Mariana because she makes things happen. So that's starting to be your, your brand. Then I started as well, a little more senior to do more innovation-driven projects. So because they knew that I could make things happen, then, okay, now she wants to do things that are more innovative, more new. Well, let's continue investing because she will deliver. So that's where the brand starts becoming something that people can talk about. It's only your reputation. What are people going to say about you when you are not there? That is your brand. That is your story. Is part of your brand that you're the Latin American expert, the Japanese, the Japan expert, that you can bring in clients from these sectors? Is that part of the story as well? I think it's part of the story, but not the chapter that I live today. I don't really play as much in the let's do business in Mexico component. From that perspective, what I bring is all those portions have allowed me to be a leader in digital marketing, a leader in how do you break into, into the different components from a marketing perspective. How do I connect with the market? I understand the market so that I can tell the story of the company and then, you know, more people know us, more people do business with us. So it's different shades of that, that persona, that story. And sometimes you use one chapter, you use one tool. Sometimes you use another tool. It really depends. I have done in the past, you know, helping companies breaking into the Japanese market, 
as I mentioned, for American financial systems running their business in Latin America and Japan. Currently, I do a primarily USA in a role, but at some point might be related to Japan, might be related to Mexico. You start becoming this almost like this rainbow expertise that are part of that story. And sometimes you read one chapter, sometimes you read another chapter. I'm still intrigued and wondering, were there any specific adjustments that you had to make as far as adjusting to American culture and the way that we do things? What were your areas of growth or areas of major adjustments that, you know, wow, this, I just don't get this part of the culture and that you needed to learn more, perhaps, for listeners who might be wondering, you know, I'm dealing with this challenge. You've been quite successful. How did you deal with some of these major adjustments that may have come along your journey? There are a good number of components where you have to uh, adapt. Absolutely. The American culture is a very direct culture. I was coming from Mexico. We're not very direct, especially Mexico City. But what you say is not what you mean. And what you mean is not what you say because you really communicate in a very different way. And then the U.S. is much more transactional, is much more direct. So you have to learn to speak that, um, that way. Um, it is a culture that requires much more of that self-promotion. So going back to you have to have your story, all these different things. It is a very sports-driven culture. So <laughs> if there is a portion that is always, that has been and will always be challenging, sports, you fake it a little bit, you know, those Mondays when people talk about the Patriots or the Red Sox and you just kind of smile. Or you check the news in the morning so that you can say, wow, wasn't that an awesome game? You know, those <laughs> are the things that are complicated. Um, with many uh, leaders in, the, in you know, corporate America, they love talking about the strategy from sports. That, I can never understand it. I had to remind them that, you know, we have employees that are not really born and bred in the, in the U.S. So where is a long path and a short path and... Those things are still really very confusing for me. But, you know, but I think, again, it's taking the most the most positive, uh, you know, components, owning your, your diversity and just making sure that you adapt. It is a different culture. It's more direct, but that's that's even better because, you know, you know what you're getting into. You have to self-promote yourself more and uh, learn a little bit about sports. So it sounds like you have, from an early part of your career, been able to show up as your authentic immigrant self. And I'm wondering if you've had to navigate that, especially in any space, or has that been consistently over time that you've been able to show up as your authentic immigrant self? There has been a portion that has been maybe a little bit easier because I have moved around so much that... I was born, I would say, a little bit more comfortable being, being different. If you think about it, you know, growing up in Mexico in a Japanese school, I, I, yes. I, I talk about it as if it was very normal, but there's very few people. My class was like 30 kids. So you're talking about 30 kids in, in Mexico City out of 30 million that, that grew up in a Japanese school. So from that point, I was already very different. So I had to be comfortable with it. And then as the as the years went by, and then it's Japan, and but but there is a portion that that it is complicated. So yes, I'm a little bit more at ease with being being myself. But you know, one area that is always complicated again as a Latin and as a Latina even more is the energy. 
we have a lot of energy, we move our hands, and sometimes that can be misinterpreted about less thoughtfulness. It's seen as maybe too much excitement. Um, is she really that intelligent when moving around and moving so fast? Those are areas where it does become complicated. So you have to also find within the one color, there again, there are different shades. And there might be moments when you are much more of that energy and sometimes when you have to tame it down a little bit. So no, there are, there, there are challenges. You know, you're always going to look different like than everybody else. You're going to have an accent, you know, and... Um, I was last week at the United Nations for the um, Hispanic Leadership Summit, and there were other two women there who had made it to the C-suite. And we were talking that, you know, we made it even with an accent, we made it to the C-suite. And that is still, and it's always going to be complicated because you are not going to sound always maybe as intelligent because, you know, the grammar gets a little bit convoluted. And that makes you sometimes a little bit, you know, more self-aware about, you know, different things. But I think that the way that I see it by now is that it is my obligation to make sure that the next generation is very comfortable being who they are. Again, in my, my previous role, much larger, you know, company, and we had, you know, ERG for, you know, Latin, Hispanic um, employees. And they found it refreshing that it was the first time that, that they met somebody who was so open about being Mexican. <laughs> so open about, yes, yeah, I have an accent and I move super fast, but yeah, I'm a Mexican. Yeah, that's me. And for them to be able to see that it was okay and, and you know, that I can make jokes in Spanish and I, I say things and that it was, it was refreshing. It was, so the new generation should be able to be a hundred percent who they are without whether they're, they're first generation, second generation. I tend to talk much more to the, uh, the ones that we, you know, we, we arrive, but I think it's becoming much more okay to, to be who you are. We didn't share much about your personal life as to whether you're a mother. And and I know you have your mom with you, I believe you mentioned. What's your life like outside of work? But I'm wondering, how do you, as a, a woman, an immigrant woman now in the C-suite, how do you plan for rest and self-care? And how do you manage it all? That is an area where I seek and learn a lot more. All these <laughs> three questions, I had answers for everything. <laughs> This one, I think it's very, very complicated because on one hand, as you ask me, there's all these accomplishments that are awesome, but it also means that my expectations of myself, sometimes I leave it too high and I have a teenager and it gets complicated because you always want to prove that you're the best and that gets a little bit tiring and you have uh, home challenges and that. I try to disconnect every so often for a few days where I really go into like the nature. I, I follow this Japanese philosophy of the uh, forest uh, bath, like a BATH, forest bathing. That I, I try to disconnect. I try to keep almost my, my to-do list so that I can sleep better. So I know it's in a piece of paper. I know that I'm not going to be able to get to everything. And at the same time, I also know that I should be doing a better, a better job on taking care of mental health. I mean, I take care of my son's mental health, but sometimes I underestimate mine. 
I get it. As women, right? We try to take care of everyone. It's sometimes a bit harder to do the same for ourselves. Completely get it. Yeah, I think there's always this this sense of we need to prove that that we can do more, that we're capable, that there's a reason why you know we we're where we are, and and sometimes it's going to be on my to do list on my uh, resolutions for next year. Continuous for everybody. For us, I can attest for myself too. So it's said that success leaves clues. I wonder what you know now, 20 plus years into your immigrant journey living in the United States and then 11 in Japan. What do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your journey as an expat, as an immigrant? I think to be able to know that it's going to be okay. I think that trusting that it's going to work out. You know, I went through uh, getting visa, green card, all those sort of things. We haven't spoken about that stress. Um, that is going to work out okay. That you're going to be able to, to show who you are, that you're going to be able to accomplish, that it's not going to be a, a straight line. I think that's the one thing that we all have to learn. And even sometimes I had to remind myself that it's not a straight line. There's going to be turns left and turn right. But, but stay stay close to who you are i mean every time that i that i join a new a new company or I, that i have a new project i always think in mexico we have a say that is um el que pega primero pega dos veces so feel comfortable with with doing that first thing that it's okay that it's a uh, taking that risk that control risk it's going to be okay it's going to pay off so that is what I would have I would have told to myself 20 years ago. Relax. It's going to work out. You're going to find your place. You're going to find your people. You're going to find people who value what you do. And, 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 and you're going to be okay. And it's okay to have an accent and mispronounce some words and so forth. You know, you've survived. You've survived and you've done well. So we have a segment that we call faux pas. You've studied the Japanese culture coming from Mexico and 20 something years in the US. I wonder what you would encourage new residents, new immigrants. Uh, don't do this because this would socially put you in a very bad light in front of the American audience. <laughs> well, especially when it comes to my Latin crowd, be on time. You know, something as simple as that. We tend to run like a two hours late and no, no, be on time. Um, whatever you say that you're going to do, do it. Those will be almost like my two pieces of advice. It's okay to have these dreams. It's okay to be, you know, be very innovative, to have ideas, deliver. Because, you know, we are a little bit more casual sometimes. You know, that's something that I would say, be on time, because it starts from there. Be on time, deliver on any promise, and it's going to be okay. Very good. Well said. I don't think you have any time for any additional projects or passion projects or services that you may offer outside of your full-time job. Is that correct? Yes, I don't have side business. I'm a little bit busy. But what I'm looking to do uh, much more is, is that I have gotten to, to that point that it is my obligation to pay it forward. So um, I'm looking to spend more time going forward in at boards of non-for-profit where I can really help many more minorities to, to reach their potential. And how would people be able to get in touch with you if they are interested in such an opportunity or to collaborate with you otherwise? 
LinkedIn. Everybody always feel feel comfortable whether it's asking for advice or anything else on LinkedIn. I tend to be very good at uh, replying. Well, thank you so much. You were excellent. I appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you very much, Simon. I'm always happy to help and, and talk about my experience. Thank you so much. This is awesome, awesome. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.